שרוצה לשוב להשם יתברך. צריך להיות בקיר בהליכה. שלא יפיל אותו שום דבר בעולם. בין בעלייה ובין בירידה. כל מה שעובר עליו יחזק את עצמו. אוי, יחזק את עצמו. ויקיים ממשק שמיים, שם אתה. אוי, להציע שאול. Okay, good evening everyone and happy Purim Cotton. Should be the small Purim, should be turned into a really, 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 really big, big, big Purim. Way before the big Purim arrives, it should be already Venahapachu. The exile should be converted into a big, 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 big celebration. Okay, so this week's class was dedicated by Dr. Maggie Lederman, and this is in honor of her mother, Rosa Bas Yosef, whose yard site is going to be the 18th of Adar. May your neshama have a very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. And a lot of bracha to you and your family, and everything in the material and in the spiritual, much, much, much blessings, happiness, and only good things. The CD this week was dedicated by Yuri Shmukler, and this is in honor of his, the yard site of his step-grandfather. It's his father's stepfather. Yitzchak Doiv Ber ben Reb Shloima, whose yard site was on the 12th of Adar. May his neshama have a very great aliyah. And may he channel lots and lots of brachas to all uh, of your family, and much bracha and much mazel, nachas from the children, and a lot, a lot of blessings, parnasa barchava, and health, and only, only good things for the entire, entire family. Thanks for the dedication. Uh, today, we is, is Purim, is a small Purim, and um, it's also Parshas Kisisa, and let's see if we can find an interesting connection between this week's Parsha and Purim. A Parshas Kisisa is a very, very um, wonderful Parsha. It's an extreme Parsha. The extremity of Parshas Kisisa is that we find that it entails within it a story that takes us through extreme peaks, extreme levels of the highest, highest peaks, and then we plummet to the greatest depth of darkness. And then we find ourselves again on the highest peaks. So we have the extreme of being so high and then cast down so low and then be picked up again so high. And it's interesting that it's all under one parsha, parshas kisisa, which means when you will lift. So there's an extreme, extreme experience over here of being really high, being really low and being really high again. And they follow in sequence one after the other and they're all part of one story. Now it's interesting that the Torah narrates them in one parsha. The Torah could have narrated them 
in more than one parasha because they're so different than each other, from each other. Each experience is like a, a it deserves kind of a parsha for its own. Yet it all comes together as one narration as, and as one story where it's hard to comprehend how all of this can be part of one theme, one idea. What do we mean? What do I mean by that? Um, let's go through the, the, the story of the parsha. After the Torah tells us about the mitzvah of giving a machtas a shekel, a half of coin, and counting the Jewish people, and the Torah goes on to the last couple of details in regards to finishing up instructions in regards to the building of the tabernacle, building of the Mishkan, the Torah begins to narrate the story of the golden calf, which initially begins as a story of the Moshe Rabbeinu receiving from God the first luchos, the first tablets. Then after Moshe receives the first tablets, and the Torah describes the beauty and the, the great the greatness of the first tablets, how awesomely holy and how awesomely godly they are. Then the Torah goes on to describe the terrible story of the loss of those tablets, which came about because the Jews made the golden calf. So the Torah narrates the story of the golden calf, the consequential shattering of the luchos that happened after that. Then we have Moshe Rabbeinu and God's wrath, where he wants to wipe out and destroy the Jewish people. Moshe Rabbeinu pleading on behalf of the Jewish people to save the Jewish people. God accepting Moshe Rabbeinu's prayer. And, and then we have Hashem revealing Himself to Moshe in ways that He has never revealed to him before. We have that Hashem reveals to him the 13 attributes of mercy, which are the highest divine revelation. And we experience such in- intimacy between Hashem and Moshe Rabbeinu. We have God giving Moshe Rabbeinu the second tablets, the second luchos. Finally, Moshe Rabbeinu coming down the mountain with the second tablets, and Moshe Rabbeinu's face radiating with such light that no one can look at Moshe's face. That is the narration of the story of Parshas Kisis. And what I meant earlier when I said that we find extremes is that the story of the first luchos is so, so elevated, it's so high. We know that the first luchos, like, it's like they, they, they were the greatest of the great. And the Torah goes on to describe how, how special they were. Then we find ourselves plummeting to the depth of darkness. Because the sin of the golden calf was the worst moment in Jewish history. It was a moment where we were threatened with total annihilation, that the Moshe Rabbeinu not come to the rescue. And until today, we are still suffering the consequences of the sin of the golden calf. As the Pasuk says, Ubiyoyim pakti ufakadati, that in the day of my, reckoning, of my reckoning, I will reckon with you. Meaning to say, that Hashem says to the Jewish people, that I will always reckon with you. That means, that means that I will not pay you back and to punish you in one time for the sin of the golden calf, because you couldn't handle it. So I will settle the score slowly. Every time, and Rashi says, there isn't any punishment to the Jewish people. There isn't any suffering that the Jewish people suffer that doesn't have a little bit of payback and a little bit of rectification, a purification for the sin of the golden calf. So this is the darkest moment of Jewish history, the Cheta Egel. We couldn't go any lower than that. Then after that, as mentioned, we are again elevated because the Torah goes on to describe Hashem's mercy, Hashem's love to Moshe Rabbeinu, the deepest revelations, the giving of the second Luchos, which is a whole 
different story, which was given at a different time, because the first luchas was given to Moshe on the first 40 days, the second luchas was given to him um, at uh, Yom Kippur. And finally, the brilliant light of Moshe Rabbeinu's face. So what's the question? I mean, it's, what's the question? This is one story that happened. Why, why are we asking a question? What is this doing in one parsha? Is because really, again, being that these are such extreme ideas, they didn't belong in one parsha. Especially since, to, to illustrate that, especially since the Torah emphasizes very strongly the greatness of the first luchos in this, in this parsha, which really didn't belong over here. Because the first time we encounter the first luchos, is in the end of Pashas Mishpatim a few weeks ago, in where it describes how Moshe was called by God to ascend up to heaven and stay there with him for 40 days and 40 nights. And why God says to Moshe, come up on the mountain and I will give you the luchos. So it was at that point that it would have been, it would have been appropriate that the Torah would discuss the greatness and the quality of the first luchos when God is intending to give Moshe Rabbeinu the first luchos. When Hashem gives Moshe Rabbeinu the first luchos in this parsha, it's only as an introduction to the breaking of the luchos and the shattering of the luchos. Which is really only pouring salt on the wound. Because here we are, we have such a big loss. What's the point of poking fun of us and teasing us and telling us how amazing the first luchos were and now that we don't have it? Why would the Torah do that? And it would, again, it would have fit much better if that would have been in Pashas Mishpatim. Tell us about the first luchas. As, because that's when we're discussing the receiving of the first luchas. Now, you're only narrating the next story that's happening, the breaking of the luchas, and how this leads, you know, the, the story of the golden calf and the breaking of the luchas, and how this leads to the second luchas. So you can make brief reference to the quality of how great the first tablets were, the first luchas were. But to go ahead and give a whole description about the first luchas when it doesn't belong over here. This seems to tell us an interesting thing. That the reason the Torah is highlighting the first luchos over here is not because it wants to tell us about the first luchos as an entity of its own. How great the first luchos are. But as a continuous narration, as a sequence of events. The Torah is describing to us the greatness of the first luchos with all of its detail. As the Torah says that it was the strip. By the way, just one thing, when I'm talking about the Torah speaks about the greatness of the first luchos. Let me tell you what it says. It says over here that um, the Vayitin, first it says that Hashem gave Moshe Rabbeinu, They were written with God's finger. Then later, when it comes right before Moshe breaks the luchos, it says the Torah goes ahead again and tells us, that the luchos are in, his, are in Moshe's hands, they're written, inscribed on both sides, which was utterly miraculous, that you can read the tablets from either direction. They were carved out, it wasn't written. If it's written, you can write it, it should be read on the front, and it should be read in the back, but they were carved out through and through, so it was utterly miraculous that you can read the luchos from two sides. And then the Pasuk continues, Va'aluchos The luchos are the work of God. Va'amichtav and the script, First of all, the stone itself was not, it was not stone from here in this world. God created these stone. It was a divine stone. It wasn't creation, even though God created the world, but He created the world as one thing. And then Hashem created something extraordinary. He created the stone of the luchos, these tablets. 
And that's why they were completely miraculous. And in addition to that, the script itself is a divine script. So again, here you have such description about the greatness of the Luchas, where it, again, as we mentioned earlier, it should have been described in Pasha's Mishpatim. The fact that the Torah puts it over here is a sign that the reason why we're hearing about the first Luchas is not to tell you about what once was. And we should be able to sigh and say, Oi! Like Jews always like to do. Oi! It was once good for the good old days. That's not what it's about. It's not to make us feel bad. It's in order to tell us something about the sequence and connection of events, that there is a certain... continuation that's going from the first luchos, from the first tablets, to the shattering of the luchos, and then finally to the third luchos. That there is a plan, there is a master godly plan playing, being played out over here. This is also seen from the fact that we know that this whole story Rashi tells us is not in the right place. Because the commandment, Rashi says, the commandment to make a, to, uh, to build the mishkan came after the whole story of the eagle. After the story of the golden calf. So why, and Rashi says the Torah is not in chronological order. So the reason why you have the two parshios, Truma Tetzava, which talk about building the Mishkan, really happened later. But the Torah is not, it's not written in chronological order. Okay, very good. It's not written in chronological order, but there still has got to be an order. It's not chronological order, by the order of things unfolding in time and space, because we know that Torah really is infinitely beyond time and space. It's only entering into time and space. So it doesn't have to fit the chronological order, but it has to be. You can't say the Torah is random. Everything in the Torah is precise. So we need to understand why the story comes exactly at this junction, after we're told to build the Mishkan, before Moshe Rabbeinu gives the Jewish people over, and it's interesting, it comes right in the middle of the story of the Mishkan. We need to build a home for God. Pause! God instructs us to build a home for Hashem, pause. There is a whole story about the shattering of the Luchas. Finally, we pick up the narration, and that God, and that and then Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, sorry, Moshe tells the Jewish people about building the Mishkan. That's in the next two parshios. Parshios uh, Vayakel Pekudei. So why exactly at this junction do we have uh, this whole story of the ego? And then we find something else. The name of the parasha is Kisi, so when you will lift, when you will lift, lifting who? Lifting the Jewish people. That means that this parasha is all about the elevation of Israel, the elevation of the Jewish people. And yet, what's the story over here? The story over here is about our greatest fall and our darkest moment our most embarrassing moment, our most shameful moment, when we sinned with such a terrible sin. And yet, what's the name of the parasha? Kisi, so when you will lift up. And what are we lifting? We're lifting Rosh. Rosh means the head. That means not only are you lifting, but you're lifting the head. The lifting the head of who? It's one thing to lift the body, lift the leg. But lifting the head... The head is lifted in the first... The head is the most elevated part of the body to begin with. Lifting the head. And the head of who? B'nai Yisrael. Anybody knows that the word Yisrael means... The word Yisrael itself means... Is the etymology. If you break the word down, it comes from the word Lirosh, to meet a head. That means that the Jewish people, without lifting their head, is already a head. They are the head. They're called Yisrael. They're considered God's head. Lirosh, to meet a head. We are the head. Now, in addition to that, we say, within the Jewish people, we say, Rosh B'nai Yisrael, the head of the B'nai Yisrael. That means within Yisrael, the head of the Jewish people. And which generation are we talking about? We're talking about the generation who received the Torah, just 40 days earlier, 
a generation who is called the Dordea. If there was ever a generation that was called a, a generation of knowledge, this is Moshe Rabbeinu's generation. This is the generation who stood by the Yamsuf, who just moments earlier declared, Hashem Yimloch Olam Vod, God is going to reign forever. And they were worthy and ready to go in to the third, to Eretz Yisrael. And then had they made it into the land of Israel, we would have never had the exile and we would have, we would have reached the ultimate perfection of creation. This was the generation. So we're talking about the epitome of, of the people and the highest, the highest generation of Jews ever. And we're talking about lifting their head. And what's the story that we're told about lifting their head? A devastating sin. A horrific, a horrific fall. It doesn't make any sense. That the entire parsha would be called Kisisa, including the part that deals with the Jewish people falling and their sin. Another thing is that there is, if you look at the parsha, once the Torah talks about the narration of the sin, there is again, we mentioned, the beginning of the Torah portion, there is a few things left over in the construction of the Mishkan. But from when the Torah begins the narration of the Egal, it's all about the, the, the golden calf and the consequences and the aftermath of it. And then finally, there's a little pause in the middle where the Torah gives us the mitzvah of the three festive holidays. So the question is, where do the three festive holidays, Pesach, Shuas, and Sukkot, come in the middle of Parshas So What are they doing over here? Finally, we need to understand, Moshe Rabbeinu's face was radiant because he received the luchos. The Medrash Tanchuma says, why was Moshe's face glowing with such radiant light? Because when he was learning Torah with God, there were sparks coming from the Shekhinah's mouth. Imagine learning with God, Hashem Himself. So the sparks that were that were that were that were that were that were shooting out, so to speak, from God's mouth as Hashem was speaking with Moshe, was was hitting him in the face, and that's what gave him that radiance. So the obvious question is: Then that should have been after the, when he received the first luchos, after the first forty days, which he studied with God. The second luchos wasn't mainly the second forty days when Moshe was in heaven was mainly in prayer, to to beseech Hashem. wasn't He wasn't learning new Torah. So it should have been that this Moshe Rabbeinu's radiant face should have been discussed when Moshe came down from the first luchos, not in the second luchos. Now Rashi does say, Rashi doesn't bring this medrash. Rashi gives another explanation why Moshe's face was radiant. Rashi says because when Moshe Rabbeinu was asking God, I want to see your face, when he was beseeching Hashem to forgive the Jewish people, and Hashem says, I can't show you my face, but I'll put you into a, into a cleft of a rock. I'll put you in a, into a cave. And then I'm going to put my hands over the cave. And when I pass by, I'm going to remove my hand and you're going to see my back. So when Hashem put His hand on the cave, from, that, from Hashem's placing of His hand over that opening of the cave, that's when Moshe's face became radiant. True. So then we can say that's why his radiance only came after the second, by the second luchos, not by the first luchos, because this whole story happened after the, the first luchos were broken. Moshe went up to plead for the Jewish people. And in, and in connection to that, Hashem said, let me show you my, 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 30, my, my attributes of mercy. So this came after, that's why the radiance only happened later. That's what Mepharshim want to say, that's why Rashi is, that's why Rashi is bringing that, that, that pirush. But again, if you look at the Pasuk, the Pasuk seems to be saying that Moshe Rabbeinu's face shining is as a result, a consequence of the luchos. I'll tell you why, because if you take a look, the Pasuk says in Pasuk Chavtas, in the end of the parasha, Moshe Rabbeinu descended from Ar Sinai, and the two tablets of testimony were in Moshe's hands. 
when he came down from the mountain. Moshe did not know that his face was radiating. When Hashem was speaking with him. So it says, however, what do you see from here? That Moshe Rabbeinu's face was radiant as a result of one of them holding the two luchos. It seems that it was a consequence of the luchos, not of something else that happened. So therefore we need to understand it should have been from the first luchos, why did the radiant of Moshe's face only come about after the second luchos? So to understand all of this, um, Parsha's Kisisa is an awesome Parsha. What makes the Parsha so amazing is that it is a Parsha that entails within itself everything. It entails all of existence. The entire cosmic order is all included in Parsha's Kisisa. Every Torah portion is unique. And every Torah portion, the reason why it's read once a year is because it has its own brilliance and it has its own light. Every Torah portion is a diamond that needs to be studied and analyzed and looked. And it's a diamond that only this parsha is this unique diamond. What's beautiful about Parsha's Kisisa is that it is an all-encompassing gem. It has everything in it. Now really, even though the Torah tells us that that dig and dig, dig inside every verse of Torah, and you'll find in every little pasuk, in every little detail, you'll see the entire Torah. You'll see all of it. It's like the DNA in which we find in the tiniest little piece, you'll have the DNA of the entire human. So the Torah is also that way. Yeah, but that's concealed. You don't necessarily see it. Parshish Kisisa gives you a snapshot of all of existence. What do I mean by that? What do we see in Parshish Kisisa that everything is there? You see, when God created the world, God created the world in three, there's three elements in creation. There is the initial plan, then there is the actualization of creation, and then there is the final realization of the completion of what the purpose was all of, what it was for. It's like when we do something. First we have an idea, what we want. Well, we do anything. We have an idea. What do we want? What do we want to accomplish? What do we want to do? Then we begin doing the work to create the project. So we go away from that initial brilliant plan, and we have to deal with the realities around us. We're constantly excited. We have these ambitions. We have these amazing, idealistic ideas that we want to change the world. We want to create this awesome thing, unbelievable. But then we have to deal with reality, and we start the project, and we begin to see that not everything is working out, so we have to tweak a little bit over here, and a little bit over there, and as we do that, we start draining our energy, and the enthusiasm goes away, and then you meet someone like five months later, and they say, and what's with the project? And you say, yeah, it's happening, we're in the middle, we're doing it, it's going to be soon, you know how it is, all those things. But, 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 but that's the way it is. Things get, because and, and, once you're dealing with the, the reality of, of things, then it's not always meeting up with the excitement and the brilliant light that you have in the initial idea of what you want. But then finally, if you're persistent and you stay at it, you finally reach your goal. And when you reach your goal and you're really working persistent, you will reach what you initially planned for. It might take longer than you thought. It might have gone through much more difficulties and hardships. But eventually you will get there. And the pleasure and the delight of the completion of finally reaching there is unbelievable. Is even more exciting than the initial flash of the idea that you had when you were, first came up with it. When you called your first meeting to talk about this awesome project. And you were so excited to talk about it. The 
excitement of finally when you roll out the carpet and you open up day one, opening day, and here it's all there for everybody to see what you've been working on and you present. Ah, oh, wow, it's been, the goal has been reached. And that is an unbelievable sensation. With God in creation, it works the same thing. There is the initial idea, that's called the Rosh, the beginning. Then there is the Toch, there is the project itself, the middle, the center, the project itself, the work itself. And then there is the final completion of it. The Tachl is the goal when it's completed. And that's called the Seif, the end. So let's take a look and see how this really generalizes all of existence. So when we're speaking about Hashem's initial brilliant idea, that brilliant idea is the Torah. Because the Torah is, precedes creation. And in the brilliant, in the brilliant light of the Torah, we have the perfect, idealistic, godly expression of divine light. So Torah is the perfect, the perfect radiance of Hashem, shining with all brilliance and all color, and all on every type of beauty. Teferes is Torah. So that's the Torah. It's beautiful. And it's before the world. Torah precedes the world because that's the initial plan. That's the vision. That's the ultimate vision. That's the plan. Then... What's the next stage after the Torah? Comes creation. God creates a world. In which this world, why was the world created? For the sake of the Torah. In other words, within this world, the Torah will, the, we will, this will actualize the Torah into an existence, into a reality. The Torah is a plan. The Torah is an idealistic, uh, godly, godly dream. Now the actualization of it. God creates a world. In the world and all of history, the entire treacherous road, the difficult journey, with all the ups and downs, the frustrations, the blood, the tears, and everything that we all go through, all of humanity, that's all part of the middle package. It's all part of the, of the, of the story of creation. And finally what? We have Gila. We have Mashiach. We have the end beautiful world that's going to be when it's going to be revealed in creation how all of creation comes to realize the Torah. So where Torah and creation merge together as a result of our difficult struggle to unify them both, we get to the third state which is the ultimate peace, the peaceful state and the ultimate expression of the divine in this world which is the Giyula. Now watch this, this is all hinted to in the first three letters of the Aleph base. We have three letters of the Aleph Beis. Aleph, Beis, and Gimel. Aleph is the Torah. The first letter of the Torah when Hashem gave the Ten Commandments. We know there are Ten Commandments, but the first commandment is, Anochi, I am God, your God. And we know that all of the Ten Commandments are all included in the first commandment. I am God, your God. And the entire first commandment is included in the first word of the first commandment, which is the word Anochi. So let's go back a minute. All of the Torah really is included in the Ten Commandments. Okay, that's, that, that's phase one. The entire Torah is included in the Ten Commandments. As we know, there are 620 letters in the Ten Commandments because there are 620 mitzvahs. 613 biblical commandments, 7 rabbinic commandments, equals 620. The entire Torah is encapsulated in the Ten Commandments. The entire Ten Commandments, which includes the entire Torah, is encapsulated in the first commandment, Anochi Hashem the entire commandment of Anochi Hashem Elokecha is included in the first word, Anochi. 
And the first word Anochi is really all included in the most potent of potent of letters, and that's the Aleph. And that's the essence of God Himself. The Aleph of Anochi. That's Torah. That's the Aleph. Then comes Beis. What's Beis? We're all familiar with Beis. Beis is Bereshis. Baralokim. As a Shamayim It's in the beginning God creates heaven and earth. So creation unfolds. And creation didn't unfold with an Aleph. God didn't create the word with an Aleph because Aleph is the dream that precedes creation. The actual creation, that's the base, secondary stage, the project, the middle, that's the base. The creation and everything that's included in the story of creation. And then finally we get to Gimel. What's Gimel? Geula. Gimel is the redemption. The redemption. Aleph, base, Gimel. Now let's take a look. Now this really is also something that it, it finds expression in creation itself. Okay, now we spoke about the three dynamics of Torah, which is the vision, the creation, and the completed state, which is Moshiach, which is the Giyula. In creation itself, you have three stages. You have the initial will of God, when Hashem wants to create the world. The initial desire of Hashem has to create the world. That's phase one in creation. Like it says, and the sages say that... Um, Hashem could have created all of creation in one statement, but he decided to create it in nine and ten utterances. So it is explained that Hashem not only could have created it in one utterance, he did create it. There is the initial creation where all of existence exists in a pristine state of the thought of Hashem as that perfect, that perfect light, the perfect idealistic world in God's eyes. Then you have creation as creation actualizes in the literal sense, where Hashem actually creates the world. And then you have the final, the, final, uh, the final purpose of all of creation as we reach the end goal when Mashiach Shofar will be heard and we will enter into a state of, of, of eternal happiness and joy. So these are the three stages within creation. The idea of creation, creation, and the purpose of it all. A little Kabbalistically, let's get a little deeper in this. The Arizal says that before God created the world, Initially, at the very, very onset of existence, the Arizal describes it as follows. That initially, God's infinite light filled all possible space. The infinite light, that's the words of the Yitzchayim. The infinite light was filling the entire space in which later creation happens. That's the, okay, that, that's the Aleph. Or, light, or ein sof. The infinite light, that's the Aleph. Hashem's light radiating. In order to create the world, there's no space for creation. Hashem rolls away His light, moves the light away. He removes the light for the darkness. The darkness is what the Arizal calls the Tzimtzum, Tzimtzum Harishon, the first contraction. Which the first contraction was blocking that infinite light. To allow space for a creation to exist, you have to move away all the light so that there can be space for possibility for something else to exist other than God. Because what does the first light mean? The first light means it is revealed how Hashem's light, Hashem's being, Hashem is everything. 
a revelation of the true existence. That's what it means, or. Or is a revelation. A revelation of who? A revelation of God. A revelation of true existence. When true existence is revealed, nothing else can exist. So Hashem has to hide that true existence, create an empty space, a cavity, an empty space, and a vacuum when there is nothing there. And in that empty space is where we were created, where all of creation is created. That's the great darkness. That's the base. That's when Hashem creates the world. That's the tzimtzum. As we're going to see soon, the tzimtzum is the cause for all suffering and all pain and all darkness. This is the darkness. This is the original darkness that's, this, the, that's the ultimately the cause for every broken heart, for every tear that has ever been shed. For every element of confusion, for everything, it's all in this tzimtzum. It's all in Hashem taking away the light. Finally, what was the purpose? The purpose is as within the darkness, in the space where God is hidden, concealed and blocked, we the Jewish people through Torah and mitzvahs should begin filling this vacant, empty space, this vacant garage. We should start filling it with godly light. And we do that through mitzvahs, Torah and mitzvahs. And what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is that within this space where all the light was removed so that we can exist, we should bring back light, not a little bit of light. We should bring back all the original light. The light that did not allow the creation to be even created to begin with because it could not exist in the presence of such intense manifestation or revelation of the Abishter of Hashem. Yet Hashem wants us to bring back all that light. But since it's coming through us, through our work, we are able to withstand that revelation and not be canceled by that light. See, initially when that light was radiating, if you try to put something in, anything there, it will blow a fuse. It will be destroyed in the intense radiance of God's light. It's either God or us, one of the two. But that's the whole point, that's the whole brilliance, that's the whole craziness of the Abishter's enjoyment is that God wants to create the impossible. He wants to create tiny little minuscule, tiny little creatures like us and yet we should be able to re-invite Him into this into our space and His existence in our space should not destroy us. But we should be able to live in the presence of His light. And that's going to be when Mashiach comes. Not only are we going to bring back the light that was shining before the Or Ein Soif, in the words of the Arizal, not only are we going to bring back the Or Ein Soif, that's before the Tzimtzum, we're going to go even deeper than that. We're going to reveal the source of the light. Because when Mashiach comes, this world is going to be a home for God. A home is not a place where your light shines. A home is where your essence is. So ultimately, as a result of our work in the darkness, in the absence, where there is no light, and we do Hashem's mitzvahs over here, we're not only bringing back the revelation of Hashem's light, we're bringing back the source of the light, the ma'or, like we spoke last week. Not the or, the ma'or, the root of the light, Hashem's very essence, because Hashem is going to have a home in this, in, in, in our existence. And we and Him merge together to live together for, for all of e, forever, for all of eternity. And that's the gimel. So gimel is Mashiach's light, Bez is the darkness, and Aleph is the initial light that's the empowerment. You're going to ask a question, why do you need to have the initial vision? Hashem could have just gone right to the project. And the answer is, had there not been first light shining in this space, we would never have the ability to, receive, to, to, to connect, to, to bring light into our existence. Because if our space that we're living on was always essentially darkness, 
we would never have the power to bright it up with light. But since the space that we're living in was before we came onto the block, before we lived here, who lived here first? Hashem's infinite light. And it was only rolled away, it was only removed to allow us to exist with the intention that we should bring that light back. So that initial light empowers us. Following that initial light that was shining, the Aleph empowers us to be able to have them, to make it through the bays and not be crushed in the difficult journey of the bays, we should successfully make it to the Gimel. Because that's the ultimate. Gimel is the, is the third dimension of peace. Number three represents peace, fusion of God and the world. That's the idea. Now, we find, let's take a look in Torah itself. Since Torah is the blueprint of the world, so let's take a look in Torah itself, and we see how Torah itself is set up that it has these three phases. Now, before we said that the Torah is phase is one, creation is phase two, Mashiach is phase three. Or we said that in creation itself there are the three phases. Now let's look in Torah and see where do you see in Torah itself the three phases. So the first word of Torah is Bereshis in the beginning. So notwithstanding the fact that it starts with a base, but it's really giving you the Aleph as well. Why is it giving you the Aleph? The very thing that it's telling you it's a base is already telling you that there's something that precedes it. Because if it would be a real liar, if it would be really about deceiving and just being, the world would just, just be a total concealment, then the bays would masquerade as an Aleph. The fact that it's telling you that the story of creation is bays, that's telling you that this is number two, means that there's a number one. You don't know who the number one is, but there is a number one. And the sages unlock the code, because the sages say that in the word Bereshis, which we would read it as a story of creation, what do the sages tell us? What does Bereshis mean? Bishvil HaTorah Shenikra Reishis. That the reason God created the world was for the sake of the Torah that's called Reishis. That means that in the word Bereshis, which we think is a story of creation, it's not really about creation. The word Bereshis is speaking about that which is first and precedes creation. What's first and precedes creation? The Torah. The Torah is first preceding creation. Bereshis. Bishvil HaTorah. Then, that's the, that's the Aleph. That's the first eye, that's the light. That's the vision, the initial vision. Then comes, let's read the rest. Then you have the story of creation. The actual creation, the darkness, the tzimtzum, the concealments. And what? And all the stories that happen afterwards beginning with the sin of, the, of, of, of Adam and Chava in the Eitz Adas, and the continuous denigration of Cain and Hevel, and then the sins of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the generation of the flood, and the generation of the dispersion, and the depravity of the Egyptians, and the corrupted world of Sodom and Amorah, and the constant fall and darkness, and finally the struggle for holiness to get a footing in this world, for goodness to get some, to infiltrate, to begin at least to have some, 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 some presence in this world where Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, the Jewish people and the story of the entire Torah it's all the story of Beis it's all the story of creation it's creation struggling to define itself it's creation trying to figure out what it is who we, who we are and then finally when do we get to the final goal? we look, the final goal is reached in the last few psukim in the Torah Vezos bracha. this is the blessing this is the ultimate blessing Who's blessing? Moshe is blessing the Jewish people. But in the end, it says, in the end of Azosa Bracha, it says how Hashem is showing Moshe Rabbeinu everything. 
Moshe is on top of the mountain and Hashem is showing him the whole land of Israel. And he's showing him and it says that Hashem showed him Ad Hayam Ha'achron. Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, he showed Moshe Rabbeinu the entire land of Israel until the, 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 the final sea, Yama Ha'achron, which generally means the Mediterranean, the Mediterranean coast. But Rashi says, don't read it, Yam Ha'acharon, the sea, read it, Yom Ha'acharon, the last day. Hashem was showing Moshe all the occurrences that were going to happen till the final day, which includes the coming of Mashiach and the, old, and the third base on Migdash and that beautiful world. More than that, what's the final verse of the Torah? So basically, the end of the Torah is about Mashiach. What's the final pasuk in the Torah? The, the, the final two psukim, Yud Aleph and Yud Beis. It says, L'chol To all the signs and the wonders, Ashalachai Hashlem Lasais, that Hashem has sent Moshe to do Be'eretz Mitzrayim in the land of Egypt. Leparo to paro, L'chol Avadav, L'chol Arta, which we know Egypt represents the entire creation. It's called Egypt. Egypt means constriction. All the signs and wonders that God has shown, sent Moshe to, to show the world. And the mighty hand, and all the great fear, that Moshe did, to the eyes of the Jewish people. What does it mean that the final objective, the final goal is that the wonders and miracles, the unbelievable divine display, of, to the point that it causes such awe, such tremble and fear from God's awesome power. And all of this is revealed to the eyes of all the Jewish people. That's Moshiach. And what does it have to do that Moshe did? Because as we spoke so many times, who's the neshama of Moshiach? What's the power of Moshiach? The sages tell us, Moshe Rabbeinu, Goel Rishon, the first redeemer, who Goel Achron, he's the final redeemer. Which means when it's described over here, the great wonders that Moshe does, it means that Moshe is going to do through Mashiach Tzedkenu, when forever and ever God's mighty hand and Hashem's mighty power is going to be revealed in the world, to the eyes, to the fleshy eyes of all the Jewish people of all the world, to see, we're going to see godliness. This is the final, final destination. This is the final revelation. This is Mashiach. This is the Gimel. So you got the, be- the Beratius, that's the Aleph. That's for the sake of the Torah. You have the whole story of the struggle of mankind with all the failures and the slips and the falls. And that's all part of the bays until you get to the last paragraph. Speaking about the ultimate revelation of Moshe Rabbeinu revealing the great light for the Jewish people. All of this, these three stages, as there are, this represents the entire story of existence is really de- described to us in Parshas Kisisa. Parshas Kisisa has all of this, a synopsis of all of this. And these are the three things that we find in this week's Parsha. The first luchos, number one, the first tablets. Number two, the making of the golden calf, the breaking, the shattering of the luchos, all the pain that it caused, the terrible devastation, and finally, the reconciliation between the Jewish people and God, leading up finally to Moshe receiving the second pair of luchos, and Moshe's radiant face. These are the three, three stages. Stage number one, the first luchos. Why is the first luchos the stage number one? Because the first luchos is the entire Torah, in all of its brilliance, unhindered, untarnished, unaffected by human 
by human activities. This is the luchos as it's coming directly from God. Here is the Torah being given, the Torah being trans- transmitted with all of its pristine beauty. This is like we said before that the Torah pre-exists creation. When Moshe goes to receive the Torah on top of the mountain, he's touching something that's still before creation, before existence. So it doesn't have any dust. It doesn't have any fingerprints of the human being, of our, our, our limitations. It's all purely infinite, purely brilliant. And that's why the Torah is so much emphasizing how godly it is. The Luchos is the divine script. It's made up of stone coming from Hashem. It's, it's miraculous and everything. It's purely divine. That's the first Luchos. It's the radiance of Hashem preceding creation. Then begins the, troubles, the troubled story of creation. Creation begins with darkness. And that's the story of the sin of the golden calf. Because the sin of the golden calf is a story that comes because of divine concealment. There was confusion. Moshe didn't come down exactly on the day that he was supposed to come. Suddenly there was like, we didn't have clarity. We saw things. The Satan came and he made a confusion. It says he made that we should think that Moshe Rabbeinu died. Things became blurry and confusing. That's the idea. The concealment. God is hiding. He hides his infinite light, pulls away, and he leaves us in the dark. And when we try to make our way in the dark, we bump our nose and we hurt ourselves. And that begins a story of... Now it's interesting, the Kabbalists tell us an amazing thing. The Kabbalists tell us that the first symptom, talk about the blame game. Imagine people that, are, that go through things and, they, and, they're, and, they're, and, they're, and, and people like to find blame. Here's a new blaming thing. I'll, 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 I'll give, I'll give uh, for everybody to blame. You didn't even think of this. Who you can blame. So the way it really works is as follows. All the sins that we do ultimately go back to the sin of the golden calf. Because when we stood at Har Sinai, we had no more Yetzirah. We were in a, in a state of absolute devotion and dedication to God. We were inseparable from Him. Satan came in and played a nasty trick, which we'll see soon if it's really Satan, creates this blackly darkness, causes us to slip and fall and lose that. And as a result of that, Yetzirah reappears in the human soul. And because of that, it's slip and fall. So all the sins and mistakes we do go back to what we, we might call the second original sin, which is the sin of the golden calf. Now the reason why the golden calf happened was because in our genes, we had a, even after we stood in our Sinai, we still had a tiny little bit germs still from where? From Adam Arisha. So even though the sages say, Paschas are Hamasan, that when we stood in our Sinai, the filth of the snake, of the germs, the venom of the snake that was given to Chava, that polluted all of humanity, was kind of eradicated, but obviously not completely, because had it been completely eradicated, we wouldn't have sinned again. Okay? So really, the sin, the reason the Jewish people sinned with the, the sin of the golden calf was still can be blamed on the sin of who? Of Adam and Eve, of Adam and Chava, when they sinned in Gan Eden. Now let's take that back. Why in Adam and Chava sin in Gan Eden? So the Kabbalists tell us an interesting thing. You know who we can blame for that? We can blame for that God making the moon small and that there is night. Initially, the sun and the moon were the same size. So the making of the moon small is the cause spiritually for a lot of darkness, for all concealment and Yetzirah and all that in the world is related to Hashem reducing the size of the moon. What's the real cause for the reduction of the moon? That's because if you trace it back in the, in the, in the evolving or the devolving, if you might say, 
of, of godly light, we can trace it back to what's Kabbalistically referred to as Shvira Sakel in the shattering of the vessels. When there was, the, we spoke about this many, many times, there was initially a primordial collapse of divine, of worlds that couldn't handle God's light. Well, that's what eventually caused the making of the moon small. In our reality, it was a cause of the residue of the shattered, broken shards of the Shvira Sakelem. And what causes the Shvira Sakelem? What was the ultimate cause of the shattering of the vessels? Bring it, trace it earlier. Guess what? Tzimtzum Harishon, God's first idea that He wants to conceal His light. So if you want to blame everybody, you can blame the first Tzimtzum Harishon. The first concealment, this is the source of all your problems and all your troubles is that God hid His light, and God is to blame. And the truth is, God knows He is to blame. That's why on Rosh Chodesh, we bring for Hashem a special carbon. Hashem says, please, really bring an atonement for me, because I'm really the cause of this entire mess. Bring an atonement for me, for making the moon small. And originally, it goes back to the, to the hiding of the light. Comes out according to this, that what really is the sin of the, of the eagle? The sin of the golden calf is a continuation of the bays of Hashem hiding, countering the Aleph, which is an expression of God, it's a concealment of God, which is the number, which is base. Finally, what did this lead to? The sin of the golden calf, which led to the breaking of the Luchos. Which led, however, to what? To the Jewish people doing tshuva, repentance, reconciliation. Moshe Rabbeinu going up to God and beseeching Hashem in such a deep way evoking the deepest love and compassion that God has, the 13 attributes of mercy. Finally, God gives Moshe Rabbeinu the second luchos. And finally, Moshe Rabbeinu's face is radiating with the light, the ultimate light. So that second luchos, that's the Giyula. The second luchos that Moshe receives, that's Mashiach. The second tablets. That's the Gimel. The base is the story too then. And then finally, the Gimel is the second Luchos that Moshe gets. Where do we find that the second Luchos are so awesome, are so great, and they are, represent the ultimate light, the light of the Giyula, the light of Mashiach. Remember I told you earlier, where is Mashiach hinted to in the Torah? The Gimel? In the last Pasuk. Where in the last Pasuk it says, all the signs and wonders that Moshe did in front of the eyes of the Jewish people. If you remember a class that we had a couple of that was, was about a year ago. On some, before, we spoke about the breaking of the luchos. So over there, there was a, we, we discussed at great length how God told Moshe Rabbeinu on the last words, Le'enei kol Yisrael, to the eyes of the Jewish people, Rashi says, what was the greatest achievement of Moshe? The greatest achievement of Moshe is something that he did in front of the eyes of the Jewish people. What did Moshe do in front of the eyes of the Jewish people? That his heart elevated him, the soy Liba, his heart elevated him, his heart inspired him to take the luchos and to break them. The first luchos that Moshe shattered them. That was to the, because the Pasuk says that he did it in front of the eyes of the Jewish people. That's what it means, le'enei kol Yisrael. So if the words le'enei kol Yisrael, which is the end of the Torah, which is the culmination of everything, which is the ultimate purpose, speaks about the breaking of the luchos, is a sign that the breaking of the luchos is related to the ultimate light of Mashiach. Why? Because the breaking of the sec- first luchos allowed us to get the second luchos. What, is, what do we find by the second luchos? So we find that Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Yasher koach sheshibarta. Thank you for breaking it. I am thanking you, Yasher koach, for breaking the second luchos. Why does Hashem say to Moshe Rabbeinu, I am thanking you for breaking the second luchos? Why, why should he thank him for it? What's so good? So here's an amazing thing. So it says 
the reason why Hashem thanked Moshe Rabbeinu for breaking the Luchos was that Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, um, but we find, here's an interesting thing. You see, just like when it comes to the Jewish people, we know that initially when we received the Torah, we were tzaddikim. We were all perfectly righteous people. We were in a very, very high state. We were tzaddikim. Then we went ahead and we did a sin. A terrible sin. And we became wicked people. We became rishayim. But the wickedness that we did was for a purpose. And what's the purpose? So in the end, we will come back and we will become balichu. And we know what the sages say, that the makim shabali tshuva, the place where the balchuva stands, ain't tzaddikim gemurim yechaylam The perfect tzaddik can't be in the place where the balchuva is. So where are the Jewish people really higher? When they were tzaddikim or after they sinned and they became balai tshuva? They're much higher when they became balai tshuva. Comes out that the sin of making the golden calf, even though externally looked like a terrible fall, looked like a very, very, a very big regression in our Jewishness, in our Jewish experience, in our development as Jews, as a godly people in this world, in truth, we were elevated, we reached much greater heights as a result because we became Bali Chuv. We'll soon see from a Gemara that that was the whole purpose why we sinned in the first place. The Talmud tells us, we're going to see soon that Hashem said that, that the Gemara says the Jewish people were not worthy for this sin. Which means they were not, it was not befitting them, this sin. It's not something they chose with their own choice, the Gemara said. They did not deserve to send this. They were really strong enough to conquer the Yetzirah. Talmud says in Masech Tesavodah why did they sin? To show the world that you can do tshuva. That's the only reason they sinned. That's what the Gemara says. So you see that the purpose of the Cheta Egel was to lead the Jewish people to tshuva, which is meaning we descended for the sake of an ascent to go up higher. Now just like it is in regards to the Jewish people, the same is also when we broke and we fell, the Jewish people and the Torah are twins. When we fell and we, and we were broken, who fell along with us automatically? The Torah fell and the Torah was broken. But just like when we fell and were broken so that later we can come back and be much greater than we were before, so when the Torah fell and the Torah broke, it was also for the purpose for the Torah to become much greater than it was before. So the Medrash tells us, Medrash Rabbah, and Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, hear these words, it's a beautiful medrash, this week's parsha, Perik Mem Vav, parsha Mem Vav. It says, it's interesting, that the reason why Moshe broke the luchos, I never heard this before. It's amazing. You know what Moshe broke the luchos? It says that Moshe broke the luchos because Moshe was going to come back to God and said, you want to kill them because they sinned, I also sinned. Ha, huh? you want to kill them, kill me too. And Moshe knew that God can't do that. So he put himself in the line. He said, if they send, I send too. So why would you forgive me and not forgive them? I broke your luchos. Look at me. I'm like a real, 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 real sinner. And Moshe said, if you're not going to forgive them, don't forgive me. So then it says, Hashem forgave them. And Moshe Rabbeinu still remained with his sin. So Moshe got very scared. And he says, you know, they had me to plead on their behalf. I don't have anybody to go on my behalf. So Hashem tells Moshe at that moment, um, um, Ani, Moshe started being mitzar. Moshe was in pain. Al shiver al luchos that he broke the luchos because they were kind of vindicated. They were out, and he remained stuck with it. Hashem says to Moshe, "Al Don't be in pain for the first luchos. Because in the first luchos you only got ten tablets. You only got ten. ten I'm sorry, ten. 
Ten Commandments. That's all you got. But Luchas Hashniyim, in the second Luchas that I'm giving you now, in the second Luchas, I am jam-packing the Luchas. Even though it says the same Ten Commandments, but they contain in them Halachas, Halacha, Medrish, Medrish, Agados, all the stories. And this is what it says in the Pasuk, I've related to you the hidden wisdom. In other words, the first Luchas was a more expressed wisdom. The second Luchas contained a much deeper hidden wisdom, which is all the Midrash, Halacha, and Agada. Unbelievable. The Gemara says something similar to that in Masechtis Nedarim, Tavchav Beis. The Gemara says over there that if the Jewish people would not have sinned, they would have only gotten the five books of Chumash and Sefer Yeshua. That's it. They would have gotten the five books of Chumash and the book of Yeshua because the book of Joshua, they need to know how to settle the land of Israel. That's it. Now that they sinned, Hashem sent to send them all the prophets. And therefore they have all the Tanakh. And they have in the end all, all the big Torah came as a result of this. So similar to that, Hashem says, meaning as a result of the sin and the tshuva that comes as a result of it, since you're doing tshuva and tshuva brings about a deeper connection, so you get a deeper Torah. You're getting a Torah with measures. That's why Hashem says, don't feel bad. So what do you see? That as a result of breaking the luchos, we got a Torah upgrade. We didn't get a lesser Torah. And the, and the Medr says, not only that, it says, Kiflayim litoshia. I'm giving you double. The second luchos is double, contains within it much more than the first luchos. In other words, even though externally, the second luchos are human, Moshe Rabbeinu made them, they were not made by God, only God inscribed them, but they were, they were stones from the earth, they were not stones from heaven. It was only that Hashem inscribed them, but deeper. It wasn't as glamorous, but much deeper, much greater light. Okay. So you see from here that what? That the third, the second luchos, that represents, that represents the ultimate, the ultimate light. Now we'll understand something really amazing, why this whole story of the three parshias is parshas. No, no, this will also explain an interesting idea. Also why the second luchos precisely come, are, from, are from us. The first luchos are given by God. The second luchos were written, were, were engraved, were carved out by Moshe. Moshe had to excavate stones and bring them up. Let's, let's go back to the Aleph. Let's just for one moment, let's go back to the Aleph, Bays and Gimel and understand what is the reason why the sequence of events, let's understand why the sequence of events, the way it works, is that you first you have an Aleph, then the, comes the Bays and counters the Aleph, and then you get the Gimel. So the idea is like this. You see, the first initial light that God shines in His radiance it's wonderful, brilliant light, but since it's coming from God, it's not us. Hashem could have created the world somehow creating us within the light. But even if He would create us within the light, and man, you said earlier, if God would have tried to create us within the light, we couldn't possibly exist. It doesn't mean that we couldn't exist. He could have, God can do anything. He could create the infinite light and put us to exist in that light. The problem is it wouldn't be ours. It wouldn't be our light. It's His light. So even though we would be receiving tremendous light, it wouldn't be us. It wouldn't have a connection to us. So that's why what happens? He has to roll away the light, make it dark. Put us in a place where there is no light. 
And then when there is no light, then we have to start digging and finding our connection to God from within the absence of light. Then when we achieve the light, whose light is it? Is it? It's connected to who we are. It's something that can last. That's the reason why the first luchos didn't last. The first luchos was such brilliant luchos. There was such powerful luchos, but it, the, it was such an, it was so great, but it, the world couldn't handle it. It couldn't, it couldn't, it didn't have the ability to stick to the world because it wasn't ours. So what happened? The moment it went into Moshe's hands and Moshe came down from heaven and he came down to earth, which means he went into the space of the creation, what happened? It collapsed because we couldn't handle such, a, such light because it's not us. First luchos didn't last. The second luchos, which comes as a result of the darkness and the crying and the tears and the death that came as a result of it and all the pain and suffering. And afterwards we do tshuva, we work it out, we discover how, we, 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 we think we can choose a golden calf, we think we can choose something that's not God, but we realize that we reject it, we choose it and we reject it, we don't want it. Isn't it amazing that when Moshe Rabbeinu comes down the mountain, the moment Moshe Rabbeinu comes down, no one fights him? They're so crazy, they're so fanatic about this new God that they built, yet when Moshe comes, everybody drops it and goes running to truth, because the Jewish people really, this is alien, this is not really them, it's just a confusion, it's just an external. It's in order that they should be able to make a choice, what's their choice? So they choose, they make a mistake, and then they realize how, the, how it's not leading them to anything, how this is fake, how this is not real, how this is not what I really want, and they, then they turn back to God by understanding how, how Hashem is so essential to who we are, we cannot be without Him. So that's why when we come to the second luchos, these luchos are made by human stone. Meaning they're coming from us, coming from the world, and that's why they last, and they last for all eternity. So the Aleph Bays leads, the Aleph is there initially to empower, but then we must go into the Bays, and eventually we come to the Gimel. The Gimel is permanence. The Gimel is lasting. The Gimel is real. This explains why the entire parsha. The oh, why? Remember, we, we asked the question: Why the Torah begins to narrate the story of the first luchos, how great they are, in this parsha, which we really should have said in Parshas Mishpatim. And the idea is just very briefly, is as follows. And this is really the the main idea of the entire of the entire share tonight. And this is to, to to bring it all together. And this is a very very important idea. And that is that we need to understand that these three phases are not three, just three individual elements, three experiences that are unrelated to each other. They're meant to follow consecutively one after the other. They're initially designed by our Creator. That's how all of creation and existence operates. It operates through these three phases. So when Hashem initially emanated the first light, his intention was that he's shining that light in order that he can take it away and create the darkness. When he comes and he, and he brings about the darkness, we have to realize that Hashem is the one who's the cause of the darkness. Not only is he the cause of the darkness, but Hashem is the cause of all the consequences that come from the darkness, including all of our missteps and including all of our mistakes that we make which sometimes we aggravate over, like over the mistakes that we make and we agonize over, but we have to realize that there is a plan over here. The Abish to creates a world first full of light. 
then he brings about the concealment of that light. In the concealment of the light, it's not stama. See, I say we, we can make a mistake and learn it like this. Hashem created a world where he hid the light and now he leaves a possibility to sin. And, where, and the possibility of sin means, okay, it's a possibility. So now you have free choice. If you choose the wrong thing, you're doomed. Goodbye, you, you're off the map. You just eliminated yourself from existence because you went off God's plan. God's plan was that you should be in the darkness and still, tru- still choose the truth. But if you make a wrong choice and you walk off the map, you walk off the designated path, finished, it's over. But that's not true. Because even the mistake, and even the mistake that comes as a result of the sin of, the, of, the, of God's concealment, of creating the world and creating Yetzirah, and the mistake that comes from it, including Adam Arishon's sin, including the sin of the Chayta Egel, the sin of the golden calf, and all the sins that people do, it's very, very difficult to hear this, and very and far more difficult to explain this. But we need to know that ultimately, God is the one who orchestrates all these events, including the missteps that we take. Including the missteps that we take. Here's a, listen to a medrash. This is a medrash. Medrash and Parshas Vayeshev. I'm going to read it to you. Parsh, a very dangerous medrash. Because it only needs to be used in the right context. But we need to understand, especially now, right before Mashiach comes, we can reveal this secret. This is like the ultimate secret. The Medrash says like this, that Hashem really made a, that Hashem comes with a scheme to the human being. Hashem is basically involved in a whole scheme, in a kind of a scam. What's the, Hashem scams us. In what way? God initially, when He created the world, already on the first day, He created the angel of death. So why is God coming to Adam and telling him, the day you will eat... You, that, 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 you, that you caused your death. When Hashem already created the... If, if the whole concept reason of death came about because Amram, Adam sinned, so Hashem could have created the angel of death after Adam sinned. He didn't. He already created the angel of death before. That means God had death already in His plan before Adam sinned. So how was that going to be? Is a sign that it was part of the plan that Adam should sin. It says, Amr it says, This is the angel of death. Adam was created on the sixth day. He made a scheme on him. God blames him that he brought death to the world. And he brings a What does this compare to? A person who wants to divorce his wife. Okay? So he, he comes to his house and he has already a get. He has already a divorce bill, a get in his pocket. But he needs an excuse to divorce her. He can't just divorce her. So he tells her, please bring me a, a tea. Bring me a hot tea. So she brings him a tea. And as she brings him the tea, he takes a sip and he takes out the get and he gives it to her. She says, why are you divorcing me? He says, because the tea that you gave me is cold, it's warm, it's not hot. So he gives it. So she said, yeah, but what was the get doing in your pocket? If that's the reason that you're coming to divorce me, so why is the get doing in your pocket? If the get is in your pocket, the divorce bill is something you were planning, you were just looking for an excuse. So the Medrash says that Hashem, Kiva Shanot, yeah, Afkan, Hashem, Noira Lula Benayodam, that the Abishta does in Alila. And you find he continues on the Medrash and he says, all the, that Hashem continuously makes these games with people. Okay. But here, listen to this. So it's brought down here these words. This is the words of the Mittler Rebbe, the son of Rabshneer Zalman of Liadi. Very powerful words. 
where he says like this, I'm reading and quoting from him, this is in Torah's Chaim, Parshas Toldos. Lepa'amim goiver hara diyetza hara ala adam. There are times that evil prevails over a person. The evil of the evil inclination prevails over the person. V'yechta and he sins. Milmaila he sisay olav ayetzahara. From above, from God, from above, they incited the yetzahara. Lehevi'ay lechetzah to bring the person to the sin. Why eventually, eventually, eventually as a result? Now how does this fit with Bechira? He's not contradicting Bechira and it's all, we can sit and philosophize forever to try to understand how do we say that we have free choice. But he's really saying that every time a person is sinning, there is a divine cause that's causing that sin. There is a plan. There is symptomarition, there is concealment. Because after a person sins, they're in a place of darkness. They're disconnected. There's a certain natural connection that we all have to God. We all have a certain innate awareness of Hashem. Then, however, if we're living our life with that innate awareness all the time, then, it's, then our connection to God is not really our choice. Because we're living based on what? On an innate awareness that we have. We spoke about last week how our neshama has powerful amun in Hashem. So what does Hashem do? Sometimes He brings a person to make a mistake. And when you make a mistake and you sin, you cut yourself off. Now you're in real darkness. Now what's your choice? What are you going to do now? Now that you have no flow, what are you going to choose? You, you without the light, you without that radar, you without the GPS connection, continue. you without Wi-Fi. We have a natural Wi-Fi, holy Wi-Fi, all the time. When we sin, especially if we sin again and again and again, we lose that Wi-Fi. There's nothing there and yet what do we do? Eventually we make our way back and we, ch- and we do tshuva. That's real, that's us, that's deep. I'm not, I'm not making a, 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 uh, a promotion over here to sin. God forbid, every time we sin, we have to pay the price of pain and suffering and horror. It's not something we ought to do, but we need to know that there is a plan. It's not stam. So if you think about, let's say, the Jewish people. For thousands of years, the Jewish people were loyal to God. For thousands of years, the Jewish people were loyal unto God, keeping Torah and mitzvahs. About 200 years ago, the Jews began slipping and falling. And most of our brethren, brothers and sisters are disconnected. Are not keeping Torah and mitzvahs. Why? Is that an accident? God forbid it's an accident. It's not an accident. That's part of the base. Hashem puts darkness to put the Jewish people in a place where you're not Jewish because your mother was Jewish, your grandmother was Jewish. Let me see how Jewish you are because you're going to be Jewish. It might take three generations, four generations, until you have a Jew who's so alienated, he's three, four, five generations where no one knew anything of Yiddishkeit, and yet that soul is thirsty, and he ends up at your Shabbos table. He ends up putting on tefillin. He ends up lighting, she ends up lighting up one Shabbos candle, but that one Shabbos candle is so much more real than all those that are doing it traditionally. Because you're doing it, because this is what you were born into. This is what everything is around. This is just a continuum, it was unbroken chain. But this is an ultimate light. And this is something that I think, and this is so important for, for, for parents that are struggling with children, that are choosing their own path. And sometimes it makes pillions, it, it causes such heartbreak, and it causes such... Mamash, people think like, what have I done? Why, am I, why is my child like this? Why did I mess up? What's with my child? No, there is a path. All the kids that are going off the derech, all the kids, everybody's on a path to Hashem. No one is, God forbid, off the charts. There is a plan. There is, there is that darkness, that from the darkness comes the light. They find their way back, and when they find their way back, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do whatever we can to try to bring them back, or not to let them fall in the first place. But chas v'shalom, when it happens, there is a purpose. 
because we reach the third, the second luchos that are much bigger and much deeper than the first luchos, which is a continuation from above. And this explains that that's why the Torah is telling you the whole story in Parshas Kisisa as one story. There is a first luchos, there is a first pristine, beautiful vision. And God says, this is beautiful, this is wonderful, but you know what? We're going, we're going away from that. There is a base, there is a tzimtzum and a concealment for everybody, everybody in their own way. Some people, chas v'shalem, I'm saying, some people, we don't say, I'm not chas v'shalem saying that all the Jewish people have to disconnect, chas v'shalem. Some people, their disconnect is just the fact that they struggle, that they sometimes say a little lashon hara. They do, they have a negative thought, they're not thinking about Hashem all day long, that's also a disconnect. Who says to do tshuva means that you have to eat treif and do and be machal Shabbos and do every avera in the world. Tshuva can mean that any disconnect. But, but there is a darkness. And then from the darkness comes the ultimate light. Comes the ultimate third, third luchos. And this is the story of this week's parasha. This is, by the way, just to connect, because I asked earlier, why do we have the three holidays? Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot. Because these are the three holidays, are the three phases. Pesach is called Chag Ha'aviv. It's the light coming from above. It starts with an Aleph. It's spring. What's spring? Spring is all the grains are growing without your work. Things are growing. It's the na- nature is suddenly coming alive. It's coming from God. That's Pesach. Shavuos is called the Yantiv of the harvest. It's in cutting. That's our work. Shavuos is related to our work, our toil. That's the base. Our work toiling from below. Finally, what's the third Yantiv? Chag Ha'asov, Sukkis is the yantav of the gathering everything in, which is the ultimate gathering of all the sparks of holiness that we gather in. In the days of Mashiach, as a result of us going into the darkness, struggling with all doubts and questions and separations, from there doing tshuva and returning, bringing all those sparks back. That's why this three yamim toivim come in Parshas Kisisa. This will also explain, finally, why Moshe Rabbein was light, was only shining, we understand, after the second luchos, not the first luchos. Because the first luchos, it's not our light, it's Hashem's light. Moshe's face, which means the light of the world, comes dafka from the second luchos. Only from out. This will also connect to Purim, because tonight is Purim. Purim, we say a person has to become, first of all, the whole idea of Purim is exactly this idea. Because we know that the Jewish people re-accepted the Torah on Purim. But what's the difference of the receiving of the Torah on Shavuos than the receiving of the Torah on Purim? On Shavuos we received it because God dazzled us with His light. God dazzled us with His light. It's His light. On Purim, we accepted it from us because there was concealment, there was darkness. There was no revelation from Hashem. We had to choose Hashem. So Purim is similar to this idea of the second luchos coming from us. Here's another amazing thing. The sages tell us that a person needs to become intoxicated on Purim until he doesn't know the difference between Ar or Haman, cursed is Haman, and Baruch Mordechai, and blessed is Mordechai. What does it mean? What is the deeper meaning? How can it be that we can mix up cursed as Haman and blessed as Mordechai? But the idea is exactly what we just said. When we realize that every Arar Haman, that every cursed is Haman, that means all the elements that are related to cursed as Haman, all sin and all consequences of sin, which is all the hardship and decrees and Hamans of the world and all the evil and all that, in truth, being that it's in God's world and in God is... God, who is absolutely good, there can't be anything evil in His world. So ultimately, the Arar Haman only exists to bring to a bigger Baruch Mordechai. Yeah? 
that the curse to someone doesn't, it's not an existence on its own. There's no such a thing as ju- something just existing for the sake of existing. There's no Arar Haman as an independent element. The curse to Haman is all part of the Baruch Mordechai. And even tr- deeper, once we realize that, we see that the Arar Haman, the curse to Haman, which means the darkness and the concealments, has an Aleph. And the Baruch Mordechai only has a base. Which means that ultimately, these, all these disconnects, including all the sin and all separation and all mistakes, once we reach Mashiach, and we reach the ultimate light, we will turn around and see how these moments of the biggest darkness were really the ultimate light of the Aleph. Not, not, they're, higher than, they're even higher than the bays, than the moments of light. Because the whole point of all these aspects is to cause an increase of holiness. A deeper holiness, a more truer holiness. A godlier world where the godliness is not showered from above, but the godliness is emanating from below. It's been emanating from within us, from within our world. That entails a period of broken luchos and everything that comes from it. But eventually, we come that every single Jew radiates with the light of Moshe. Moshe's light, when Mashiach comes, is not just Moshe's light. It's the light that will emanate and radiate from every Jew. Every Jew. Even those Jews that we think of so far off, Ooh, they will really emanate. They will really radiate. Because the journeys that they, painful journeys that they took, ultimately would lead them to such light. May we merit to see the Karen Urpanov, the radiance of the light of Moshe, and the Moshe inside each and every one of us, as it will shine with its radiant beauty forever and ever.